Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. It really is great to have you here this morning and to be able to share with you. I wonder if any of you have noticed, uh, like I have over the last few weeks, maybe months, maybe even two years for some of you, that a large number of conversations lately have all contained some variation of the words, what if, what, what if, or if only, or imagine if, or only if, what if, what if this had happened, what if that happens? And they can be conversations about the past, and a lot of them have been. What if, what if this hadn't happened, or what if that hadn't happened, or if only that decision hadn't been made, or if, that, if only this decision had been made, or imagine if that decision had been made but earlier, or if only imagine if that decision hadn't been made, but what if it had been made next week, or who knows what else. But there's been a lot of what-if conversations uh, around me in the last couple of months. I mean, what-if conversations aren't new. My brothers and I used to discuss at length topics like, what if a different team had selected Michael Jordan with the number two pick <laughs> instead of him falling to number three and he went to the Chicago Bulls? Like, what difference would that have made? Or what if Tom Selleck had been cast as Indiana Jones <laughs> instead of Harrison Ford? You know, the really important questions of life, we would discuss these what-if moments. You know, TV and film have often dealt with this question. What if there was a parallel universe where a slightly different set of circumstances occurred? I mean, there's even been a Marvel TV series just in the last few months about this idea that is actually called What If. That's the series. That is what it is all about. Of course, lately, I feel like a lot of these what-if conversations are more focused on the future than the past, and are probably a little bit more important than questioning movie casting decisions. What will happen if? How will things work if? If this happens, will that happen? If only they, if only they do this, then we'll be able to do that. If only the government decides this, then I will be able to decide that. I don't think I've spent as much time talking about and speculating the what-ifs of past, present, or future events than I have over these last couple of months. I've got to tell you, that I think my favorite ever what-if conversation that I've been a part of or witnessed happened a number of years ago while I was a high school music teacher. And one lunchtime, I walked into the music department and found a couple of my senior music students sitting in the foyer area having their lunch. Now, that in itself isn't unusual, because that was the only area in the department they were supposed to have any food. But these guys were having an unusually good time having their lunch. It was, they, they were really, like I walked in, and they were really enjoying themselves. And as soon as I got in there, they started telling me how amazing their food was that day, because they had discovered the glorious combination of dark chocolate and orange juice. And so they were, the two of them were sitting there having a piece of dark chocolate, and then taking a mouthful of orange juice, and then saying how good that was, and then repeating that experience just over and over again. Now, at this stage, this is still not that unusual, right? But with each mouthful, they would just dramatically exclaim how good this was. Oh, this is so good. This is amazing. Is there, is there anything that can taste better than this? Oh, man, it's so good. It's the combination. It's the dark chocolate with the orange juice. That's what makes it so awesome. So while it's still not particularly strange. They're teenage boys, after all, you expect odd things. But after lots of exclamations and proclamations of just how perfect this snack was, the conversation started to progress. 
Oh, yeah, it's got to be dark chocolate, though. Like, milk chocolate doesn't work as well with the orange juice. Oh, yeah, how, how dark is this chocolate? Oh, this is 60% cocoa, this one. It's so good. You know, you can get 70% cocoa as well. That would be so good. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Like, this is perfect, but that would be even better. I think you can get Whitaker's, you might be able to get 80 or 85% cocoa dark chocolate. Oh, wow, that would, that's so dark. That would make it so intense. With the orange juice, that would be amazing. Yeah, so good. Wait. What if you could get 100% cocoa dark chocolate? No, but you can't because it would be 100%, like it would just be cocoa. Oh, yeah, I know, but what if it was 100% cocoa but dark chocolate? Yeah, yeah no, but you, you can't because it would be 100% cocoa, so it would just, just be cocoa. I, I know, but... What if it was chocolate, though, chocolate form of 100% cocoa? But it, it wouldn't be chocolate because it would just be cocoa. It would be 100% cocoa. Yeah, I know, but it would be so intense. Like, the flavor would be so intense if it could be 100% cocoa dark chocolate. And this went on for several minutes. One student who couldn't get out of their mind the idea of this, what if we could get 100% cocoa dark chocolate. But the other student who couldn't get out of his mind that he didn't need to imagine what 100% cocoa would be like because we already know exactly what 100% cocoa is like. In fact, I, I brought a box of it this morning but forgot to bring it up with me. It just says on the box, 100% cocoa. Um, and actually, at the end of the year, we gave these guys a special award uh, to recognize this moment. And one of my colleagues managed to press together just a whole chunk of cocoa with the tiniest bit of butter, just a tiny bit of butter. They pressed it together into a bar and baked it into 99.9% cocoa dark chocolate. And uh, he managed to take one small mouthful before he realized that wasn't the type of intense flavor he was after. It's like, yeah, it was intense, but not what he wanted. What if? That is my favorite what if story. What if? You could get 100% cocoa dark chocolate. Well, I think we all play the what-if game a bit, don't we? We all question the what-ifs and what if things have gone a little different. And it's certainly not a problem, by the way. That's not a wrong thing to do. We can definitely look at our past and wonder how things might have been different if certain moments had gone a different way. And we can certainly look to the future and we can dream and hope and imagine what might happen one day. But in the uncertain days that we live right now, I feel like giving too much focus and attention to the what-ifs can stop us from being thankful for what God has done for us in the past. It can stop us from abiding in His peace and presence that God has for us right now. And it can possibly even strangle the hope and the certainty that we actually have in God for the future. We actually find a, a number of examples in the Bible of people asking what if in their desperation and despair. They ask some version of what if. Numbers 14 verse 2, the Israelites, uh, this, this, the Exodus story, and their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. It's not often that you, you wish things had gone differently where you'd ended up dead. But the Israelites did this a bit. Numbers 20 verse 3, the people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. 
or Joshua 7, verse 7, then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you were going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Psalm 69, if only one person would show some pity, if only one would turn and comfort me, but instead they give me poison for food, they offer me sour wine for my thirst. And Psalm 139 verse 19, O God, if only you would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. It's quite a second line, actually. I've never come across that quite before. If only. What if? Imagine if. In John chapter 11, there's a story that contains these words as well, and I'm sure it will be familiar to many of you, and I'd like to spend quite a bit of time in it this morning. We're told in John chapter 11 that Jesus receives word that one of his friends, a man named Lazarus, is sick. Now, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were also good friends of Jesus. And the sisters were clearly very concerned about Lazarus because in order to get word to Jesus, they needed to send a messenger to where he was, which is a full day's journey away. And not only that, they were actually asking Jesus to come to them in a region that wasn't safe for him where in fact people had tried to kill him the last time he was there. And the disciples were rather concerned when Jesus told them they were going to go to this area in Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Other translations said it was just a few days ago. It's not an easy situation. But Jesus hears about his sick friend. He's got to go to this dangerous place. But then it says, then Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And the Bible really doesn't give us any indication why specifically he did that before he left where he was to travel for Judea along with the disciples. And if you read John chapter 11, you'll find they talk about a number of things on their journey, and then they finally reach the outskirts of this village called Bethany. I'm going to pick up the passage at verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here, Lord. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. What if you had got here in time, Jesus? What if, what if you'd come straight away? What if you hadn't delayed the extra two days? If only, Lord, you had been here. See, Martha believed in the healing power of Jesus. It's, it's why she and, and Mary sent for Jesus in the first place. They had faith that Jesus could have healed Lazarus of his disease. They had hope that Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. Lord, if only you had been here in time. And Martha wasn't alone in her thinking. As we go down a few verses further in the story, we read that Jesus asks for Mary. Remember when Martha went out to meet Jesus, Mary stayed in the house. But when Jesus asked for her, Mary came quickly to him. And we read in verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not, have been, would not have died. 
If only you had been here. Mary's first sentence to Jesus was exactly the same as Martha's. Even though their behavior was different, even though their actions were different, both Mary and Martha had been thinking the same thing. Both had been dwelling on the same thought. Jesus, if only you had been here. They had the same perspective on the situation, but how they responded and how they acted was quite different. One took action and went out to meet Jesus, and the other stayed where she was and waited for Jesus to call her, but they then expressed the exact same thought, the same desire, the same heart cry, Jesus, if only you had been here. But then the story carries on. We pick up at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, that was Mary when she came. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? There's a lot of emotions expressed in these few verses here. There's Mary who is weeping and expressing her grief. And there are the others with her, some of whom would have been friends and family for sure, some who were just members of the local community, but still others who had traveled from Jerusalem who were actually professional mourners to be there to be part of the grieving ceremony. And it says that they were wailing. Imagine having professional wailer as your job title. Yeah, like how do you, do you, like to get bookings, do you have to be the loudest? Like what? I'm just not sure about that one. But we also see Jesus' emotions here. Three different expressions of his emotional response to the situation. It says he had a deep anger. In fact, when you research into it, the word used means to snort like a horse, literally. <laughs> like that's not, what's, not saying what he did, but that's, that's the kind of indignation welling up in him. It said that he was deeply troubled, and the word um, evokes images of a sea in a storm. So he was agitated and, and um, troubled. And that he wept. But the word it uses for weeping for him is to spontaneously cry. So tears spontaneously came, and he cried quietly, which is quite a contrast to the professional wailers. But each of those expressions show us, show us a slightly different side of his emotion, but they all point to the fact that Jesus really loved Lazarus and his sisters, and that he was genuinely moved by this moment and this tragedy. He cares about this family. It's amazing to see at the end of those verses, though, the two different responses that the people around had. Some of them who saw Jesus crying, and they are moved by how much Jesus cares, and the others who see him crying, and they're indignant that he didn't care enough to stop Lazarus from dying. So we carry on, and Jesus arrives at the tomb, which was a cave with a stone covering the entrance. And he tells them to, stow, to roll the stone away, and Mary protests, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. But Jesus tells her to trust him, and they remove the stone. And then verse 41 then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes and his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him 
and let him go. Lazarus, come out, he shouted, and some Bibles say in a loud voice, which is what shouting is, I guess. But this shout was actually like an instruction to Lazarus. He'd already thanked the Father for the miracle. He's actually instructing Lazarus. He needed Lazarus to be able to hear him through the bandages. In fact, the phrase can also be interpreted, Lazarus, this way out. Like, follow the sound of my voice. Come to me. And Lazarus came out of the tomb alive. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible resurrection story, and it's also an incredible foreshadowing of the power that Jesus displayed in his own life after the cross. But I've actually left one little part out so far of the story, and I need to go back and fill in the gap, because I've only told you part of Martha's response. So if we go back to verse 21 and verse 22, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's verse 21. And verse 22 says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I find these two verses incredible. Verse 21, if only you had been here. And verse 22, but even now. You can hear the contrast, right? If only you had been here, you could have stopped this from happening. But even now... I know that, you, that God will do whatever you ask. Martha's saying, I had hoped that you would have saved my brother. I had hoped that you could have been here and healed him from this disease. I had hoped that you could have stopped him from dying. But even now, even now that he's dead, even now that he's been dead for four days, I still put my hope and trust in you, Jesus. I haven't lost my faith in you. You didn't do what I'd hoped for, but that doesn't change my relationship with you. What a wonderful expression of faith from Martha here. What a powerful demonstration of unshakable hope, a hope that she is carrying regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the outcomes, because her hope is based on an eternal future, not just what is happening right now. And in response, Jesus says this. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I am the resurrection, and the life. Yes, Martha, you can put your trust and hope and faith in me because I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this, Martha? She says, yes, Lord, I have always believed it and I still believe it even now, even though Lazarus is dead. I have always put my hope in you and I still put my hope in you. And so my message this morning, church, is really that I believe that God wants to turn our what-ifs into even-ifs. It's not wrong to ask what-if, but God can help turn those what-ifs into even-ifs. What if things were different? But if and even if they are not, I will still trust in God. 
What if God could change these circumstances? But even if he doesn't, I will still put my hope in him. Martha expressed both of these attitudes. What if you had been here to save Lazarus? But even though you weren't here, I will still put my trust and hope in you, Jesus. We see this echoed in the book of Daniel, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are told they must stop worshipping the Lord and bow down to another god, or they will be thrown into the fire. And they respond, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. What if we're thrown in? What if we're thrown in? Well, then God can save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They've put their faith, their hope, and their trust in the Lord, a hope that is not just a what if, but an even if. Even if the Lord does not save us from the fire, our hope is in him and our worship will always belong to him and only him. We see this echoed throughout the Psalms, expressed in other ways. Psalm 22 is written this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. And then he goes on to the next verse, and he goes, But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. And the prophet Habakkuk in, prophet, in Habakkuk chapter 3. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, man, that is a rough description of life in that time right there. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my, and this is a really important word, salvation. My hope and trust and faith and confidence are in the one who has eternal salvation planned for me. My hope and my trust and my confidence are not in the fig trees or the vines or the olive crops or the fields. Team, can I have you come up as I finish this message? You know, church, we're still facing a lot of what-ifs at the moment, and these next few weeks and months contain a great deal of uncertainty for everyone, uh, possibly sadness for people, possibly fear for many, and we may still be asking what-if and talking about those what-ifs and saying if only and dreaming imagine if. Can I encourage you as you do that to also to be declaring even if, in the face of those same situations? What if the economy collapses? 
Even if the economy collapses, then I will still put my trust in God, for He is my provider. What if I or my family are ravaged by sickness? Even if I or my family are ravaged by sickness, then I will put my trust and hope in Jesus, my healer. What if I am not able to gather with people to worship? Even if I am not able to gather with people, I will still worship, for God is always worthy of praise. Just a few years ago, it's not that long ago really, but a few years ago, I went through a very difficult time personally. Very difficult. It felt like every sphere of my life was under massive pressure and strain. My job, my family, my finances, my physical health, my friendships, my walk with God, my emotional and my mental well-being. And the reality is that there were a few specific circumstances that were wrong and they needed to change. But what happened to me at a personal level is that I got stuck in a very bad what-if loop. What if these things never change? What if the finances get worse? What if I fail at my job? What if my friends and family think less of me? What if my injury doesn't heal properly? What if I don't sense God's presence? What if people abandon me? What if I fail as a dad? What if I fail as a husband? And honestly, the loop in my brain just kept getting worse and worse because each what-if scenario led to a darker and more difficult what-if scenario. So if, well, what if that happened? Then if that happens, then what if this happens? And it all came to a head one particular Sunday morning where I was at church before the service and someone said something just slightly negative to me before the service that somehow in that moment just completely tipped the scales. Something broke in my soul. And I spiraled into a very rapid and escalating what-if loop that affected me so badly that I had to leave the auditorium and, and literally find somewhere to hide. In that moment, I got to the point, and I'm, this is not hyperbole really at all, this is what it felt like, I got to the point where I thought if I made eye contact with another human being that my body would stop working and I would cease to exist. I was so broken in this moment. I thought if one other person can see the turmoil that's going on in my soul right now, the earth will swallow me up and I will disappear. Hence the desire to go and hide somewhere, funnily enough. With the help of Joe and some others, I was able to recover enough to get back into the auditorium in time for the service. But that was it. That was the level of recovery was I was able to be in the room. I could barely talk. I could barely sing. I avoided people as much as I could. All I could do was sit and stand at the appropriate moment and look at the ground. That was it. That was all I had. I was really effective pastorally for other people in that scene as well. <laughs> but thankfully what happened over the next few weeks and months is I discovered that some of my what-ifs were really wrong because my family and friends didn't abandon me and they wouldn't abandon me, that they did love me, that my work colleagues did care for me regardless of what work output I was giving, that there were circumstances that actually could and did change, that my injury could heal, that the financial situation could be managed, but actually the biggest change that happened was very much a deep personal work of the Holy Spirit in me, a deeper trust in Him, a greater sense of hope and a better understanding of my identity in Christ, and not letting the what-ifs take control of my life and of my thought life. 
There were many conversations with loved ones. There was a time of rest. And over a period of several months, I was able to reestablish my hope in Jesus Christ and my hope not being in the outcome of the circumstances around me. The Holy Spirit helped turn my what-ifs into even-ifs. Because many of the situations actually didn't change that much. It wasn't the circumstances that changed. It was my understanding of my place in those circumstances, my identity in Christ, and my hope in Him that shifted, and I was able to come back into restoration. And I know that in our lives, we, we continue to circle back to those points of self-doubt and questions of identity and trust that crop up every now and then, even though you thought you'd already dealt with them in the past. But I continue to thank God that my peace comes from him and not from the world around me. And no matter what comes next, I know that he is my provider, my healer, my strength, my joy, and my salvation. I wonder if you would stand with me as as I pray. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I just want to thank you, first of all, that you really don't mind it when we question. You are so fine with us saying, what if, or if only, or why. But God, I thank you that you are our provider, that you are our source of hope, you are our source of peace, that you are our salvation. Lord, that we can find restoration in you. And so this morning, right now, Lord, I just lay everything down before you right now, across the, even across this congregation. Every circumstance, every situation, every sickness, every fear, every doubt and worry about the future, every concern, every broken relationship, every feeling of inadequacy, every feeling of doubt. Lord, I lay them all before you and I say, God, Here we are in our brokenness. We are here to worship you. We are here to trust you. And Lord, we hand these things over again. And right now, I just invite you wherever you are. If you've got one or more of these things in your mind right now, which I would imagine many of you do, choose right now. Just open your hands to God. Choose to release that situation to him. Acknowledge that you can't control it with what-ifs. But you can say, God, even in this situation, even now, I choose to trust you. I choose to put my hope in you. And God, I receive peace and strength from you. Praise you, Lord.